0: Some of the simple truths are the best to be reminded of, aren't they? Somebody put a poster on the back of my door in the office. It's a little children's poster that says, Jesus loves me and has its cartoons. Little kids, I think they put it there for for a joke. I can't imagine anybody on our maintenance team picking on the pastor or (laughs) joking like that. I know you can't believe that, but that happens on a regular basis. I actually left the poster up because I liked it. It it reminded me of that simple truth. I'm sitting at my desk, and I see this little poster that says, uh, "Jesus loves me." This I know. And um, now they also put up a a a, a poster of uh, Candidate Obama about eight years ago or six years ago. I didn't leave that one up. I took it down. But um, Jesus loves me. I did put it up, so thank you ladies, what a blessing, uh, how blessed we are as a congregation uh, with the number of people that minister uh, to the Lord and to us in uh, music. So, well, I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus 3, and whenever you get there, I um, just want to open in prayer. We have here a passage where Moses meets God. Moses has heard about God. Moses, no doubt, has heard the stories about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. God will use that terminology in just a few moments. And he'll remind Moses that, that he's the God of even his father. But this is a moment in, in Exodus. This is a moment where Moses meets God in a very dramatic and specific way. He, he is brought to a face in, face-to-face encounter with the presence of the, of, of the living God. And um, from that, he, he's reminded of, of God's purposes for people on the earth. And then after Moses learns uh, some lessons, then God actually calls him to do something. Uh, but you, as being a Christian, probably know the rest of the story. Moses is not not too excited about. I mean, he was, at one point, he was charging in on his own on his own volition. and now he's, he's, he's giving God um, some excuses, some inadequacies and and I think that one of the reasons that Moses gives those inadequacies, we know the Lord gets upset with him at the last one. I think that that one of the reasons he gives those those excuses is because he meets he meets God. As to where before he he hadn't come face to face with with who the Lord is. And you're going to see before we get done with the story that God actually points Moses back to his own his own power and his own ability. So we're gonna we're gonna see the Lord this morning and. Um, he is, a, uh, he is an all-consuming fire. He is the eternal creator Amen. of the universe. Um, he is the sovereign Lord of time and eternity. And he is going to speak to us this morning. And um, we want to prepare our hearts and... Lay our hands over our mouths and our minds and focus on Him, don't we? Let's do that. Lord, as we uh, come before you, we confess. So inadequate. And we are so dull of hearing. Lord, there are people here that are just like me. Um, easily distracted, easily forgetting the things that you repeat over and over. Lord, there are people here, no doubt this morning, that can't hear. (laughs) Um, They need to be brought from spiritual death to life. And the instrument which you will use to accomplish that is the gospel. May it be proclaimed. May your spirit wield the word like a sword. And may you help me preach and all of us to hear, all of us to submit and obey as we see you in your word, high and lifted up and revealed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the British author, Oz Guinness, tells the story of how God called him to his lifelong career. And he actually had a career change, unlike me, where I started in the business world and was converted and called into ministry, Os Guinness actually goes the opposite direction. He was a man who deeply wanted to follow God and serve Him his whole life. And so, so he was urged on by spiritual mentors uh, to go into the work of, of the ministry. And, and he, it wasn't that they twisted his arm. He, he was desirous and he wanted to do that. And so he went to work for a well-known church. Uh, In England, I believe it was, and and the longer he served there, uh, the more miserable he he got. Um, And through a seemingly random encounter at a gas station, God changed his heart and clarified his calling. These were the days when, before self-service gas stations, and And he just had his car filled up with gas and he enjoyed what he called a marvelous rich conversation with the pump attendant. And pretend that's in an English accent, which I don't have. He started the car and the engine roared to life and a thought suddenly hit him with the force of an avalanche, he says. This was the first person I'd spoken to in a week who had not been a church member. And he thought, I'm in the danger of being drawn into a religious ghetto. Ten minutes of conversation with a friendly gas pump attendant on a beautiful spring evening in England changed everything. And over the next weeks, he sought counsel, continued to pray, seek God's guidance, and discovered that God was calling him to work in the world so that he could use his gifts and build up relationships with people who did not know Christ. That was the most, one of the most freeing discoveries, one of the most freeing moments in his life. You know what God has called you to do in a short period of time on earth? You may know. You may have, just beyond a shadow of a doubt, know exactly what God intended for you to do you you understand your gifts you understand your callings you know the opportunities how providence has worked in your in your life you you have the the affirming of your of your family or your or your spouse or your elders or whoever it is you know but some of you may not know and Moses does not know yet what God has called him to do in fact, Moses is over forty years of age, and and he—you talk about wandering around. I mean, he's well over forty years of age, and he grows up in the Egyptian courts, and and then he has to flee, and then now he, you find him in chapter three shepherding sheep, something that is is very unlike what he was doing before, and he still doesn't know what God is calling him to do, and yet. God knows exactly where Moses is at and exactly what he's calling him to do. And today, he's going to come face-to-face with this God, Moses is, and God is going to tell him specifically. Wouldn't it be nice if God just wrote it in the sky? Wouldn't it be nice if he just, you know, you were thumbing through your Bible one day and there's a post-it note in there and it says, You shall do this, signed God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, It doesn't work that way. And more than likely, if we would see something like that, we wouldn't believe it was from the Lord. Or we may run from what God would ask us to do. So He has to stay in control of our gifting. He has to stay in control of the providence that brings us along. And at His moment, just like this discovery, even if it's through some frustrating circumstances beforehand, God will eventually, in His perfect timing, show you exactly what it is that He's called you to do in your short time on earth. And whatever the experience prior to that is not wasted. It's all placed in the till, and the Lord will bring that out and use it. So, do you know? And then secondly, are you doing it? (laughs) There are people that have been called by God to do specific things, they know the Lord, they know exactly what He's asked them to do, it's plain, it's clear, and for whatever reason, they've given up. Or for whatever reason, they've started chasing other things. So the next question you have to ask yourself that I want to ask you is, are you, are you doing what God has Has called you to do. Christians typically have two problems in every area, no matter what it is. They don't know what they're supposed to do, or they do know what they're supposed to do, and they don't have the strength or the ability, or there's some kind of problem to carry it out. If you're serious about your walk with Christ, discovering what God has called you to do is one of the most pressing issues you will face. Now, I want you to to pay attention to the illustration that I started with. I did not start with an illustration of some great missionary that sold all of his goods, packed it in a coffin, and got in a boat and went somewhere. I didn't start that purposefully. I started with a guy who was in vocational ministry and then went in the opposite direction because I want you to understand that the calling that God has for your life doesn't necessarily mean it's only a pastor, a preacher, or a missionary. You are called by God to do something on the planet, and that may be doctor, lawyer, pastor, mother, computer programmer. It could be any number of things. And to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your calling is from the Lord, and what you're doing, He's gifted you for that. And There's no freeing, there's nothing like that feeling of knowing that. I'm not talking about some self-absorbed grand vision where you're the center of glory and you imagine how important you are for God and His kingdom. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a soul-satisfying discovery of what you're placed on the earth to do and submission to the Lord and submission to His purposes and His plans and resting in that and understanding that success is faithfulness. It's not what you think that you can accomplish. And the discovery usually involves a process which, which at times can include finding out what you're not called to do or even the timing, just like Moses. God uses success and failures at times, even conversations with gas station attendants to help us to see. And in the opening chapters of Exodus, that's the journey that God has Moses on. Moses will be God's deliverer. God will use Moses, but he has to preserve him. He has to prepare him. And today he's going to to call him. We're talking about four steps that God uses to make Moses fit for use. We covered the last two, how he preserved him and prepared him, and today we're going to cover calling him next week and the week after we'll we'll cover equipping him. We already read Exodus three. But I want to give you the breakdown. Verse three or verse one. You find Moses tending the flock of Jethro, and he comes in encounter with God. In verses 1 through 6, God reveals himself to Moses. Verse 7 through 9, God reveals his purposes to Moses. And then in one single verse, in verse 10, God reveals his plan to moses god reveals himself god reveals his purposes and god reveals his plan and all three of those are vital to understanding what god has called you to do before you can do anything that god has called you to do or launch out to do something that god's called you you need to know the lord and i don't mean just know him in salvation i mean you need to know him And God brings Moses face to face. You need to understand God's purposes for the world and and the people on the earth because that's what you're going to be called to do. You're going to be joining God's great purposes as He fulfills His plan upon the earth. It's not about you, it's about Him. And then He's got a specific plan where you fit into that. And that's usually the part that we stumble on. Chapter 2, God has revealed to Moses um, through three attempts to deliver people on his own, that whatever God is calling him to do, it won't be something that you're able to do by your own power. It won't be something you can initiate by your own authority, and it won't be something you can fulfill because of your own accomplishments. And in chapter 3, Moses will learn about God and understand His purposes for the world and see what God's called him to do in in light of, of that. So here's your proposition. The guys are going to bring it up and you can write it down and then we'll look at the, at the passage. Being called by God to His work involves, and you can bring it all up, we will dump the whole truckload on you right out of the gate. And you can start writing that down because I really want you to pay attention to the text. It involves coming to know God. God reveals Himself through through an illuminating bush and a restricting boundary. It involves understanding His promises for the world around us. God reveals His promises through retelling His covenant to Moses. And it involves discovering His plans for us and others. God reveals His plans through providing his commission let's look at verse one where god reveals himself says now moses was tending the flock of jethro his father-in-law there's the the name that you're familiar with it's a different name than what was in chapter two he's the priest of midian and and he led the flock back to the back of the desert and came to horeb the the mountain that later became known as God. This doesn't mean that right now it's known as the mountain of God. This is the place. This orbs another name for, for Sinai. And so here, Moses is out tending the flock and he says very matter-of-factly, he's doing something that you might not expect him to do. And in order to graze them, he leads the flock to the back of the, to the, back of the desert. Um, Verse 2, God begins to reveal Himself. An angel of the Lord appeared to Him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So He looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and it was not consumed. I want you to pay attention to four statements made here. First, the Lord appeared to Him. Second, it was in a flame of fire. Third, It was from the midst of the bush. And then fourthly, the bush was not consumed. All of those statements are specific. And they tell us something about how God is revealing himself to to Moses. All of those things are keys about his revelation to Moses. And now remember, Moses has likely never heard about the Lord, but God's revealing himself to him. So this is a significant moment. And and when he does, God reveals Himself as a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. And by a divine act, the bush is not consumed. There's absolutely no way to explain what's happening here other than a supernatural act. Moses has been in this wilderness area. He, he would have he would have understood all of the the, the, uh, the secular ideas of what's happening here. And besides that. It's very specific. Twice it says the bush is not consumed. It's it's not it's not being burnt up. Now, normally we focus on the bush. We call it the burning bush, but the point here is not the bush. The the point, first of all, is the is the is the fire. Fire is a symbol of God's presence in Exodus. And here I want you to notice that you have an unkindled flame. Nothing started this fire. The Lord appeared. In the flame of fire. So the Lord appears to Moses. You have an unkindled flame. And in the first lesson, I think, that God teaches Moses about who he is, Is I mean, he's the uncaused one. He'll later echo this with his name, I, I am. When Moses says, who, who should I say sent me? He'll say, tell him that, you know, I am that I am. the The eternal one, the... The, the self-existent one, here you have him, he's he's uncaused. Nothing starts this flame, it just appears, and that's not normal with, with fire. Something has to kindle fire. Normal fire. This is unkindled flame. Nothing causes God. He is the origin of, of everything. You think that would be important for Moses to, to understand when he faces the most powerful man on the On the planet, God first presents Himself as the eternal Creator. It's the angel of the Lord. We later learn that's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. This is God Himself. This is not Michael. This is not some angelic manifestation. This is Yahweh. This is L-O-R-D. He will say later, look at verse 4. So when the Lord saw that He turned and looked aside, God called to Moses from the midst of the bush. This is not an angel. That's the angel of the Lord. That's the title of the second person of the Trinity. He is the eternal God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It's Jesus. Secondly, I want you to notice, it was the it was a, a flame of of fire, and that fire was self-sustaining. It was unkindled, it was was uncaused, and, and it was self-sustaining. A fire normally needs two things to, to burn, right? It needs oxygen and it needs wood. It needs oxygen and it needs fuel. And yet, this fire needs nothing. It, it's not dependent upon the bush. It's not dependent upon the oxygen around. It wasn't dependent upon anything to... To, to ignite it. It's in the midst of the bush. It's it's not using the bush to sustain itself. And our God is self sustaining. And you need to understand that He's self sustaining. You remember what Paul told the the uh, the philosophers on Areopagus? He talks about their worshiping God, and he says here, I'll tell you who the unknown God is. He's 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 the Creator. He doesn't dwell in in houses made with hands. And he doesn't need your hands either. He is he's perfectly capable to set the, the boundaries and the habitations of the earth. And and he does that and and here this this fire is not dependent upon upon the bush. It's it's self sustaining. And Moses needed to know the God he followed needed nothing that he could offer him and yet everything that that Moses would would, would require. Would require. The Lord appeared. He appeared in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And that's the next thing I want you to see. Now think about this. It's from the midst of the bush. Here's an unkindled flame. It's a flame that's not using the bush. It's self-sustaining. And yet it's in the midst of the bush. What do you think God's trying to... Explain to Moses. Now think about this. He could have manifested himself on the mountain. He says he, he points out this is horrible. This is the mountain of God, and thunder and lightning will take place one one point. At one point, he also manifests himself in a pillar of fire and smoke when he leads them out. But here, it's it's in the midst of a small bush. This insignificant bush, and he's teaching Moses something. While he. He's teaching that while God is all-powerful and uncaused and and self-sustaining, self-existent, He also condescends to the lowly. And this God will do that when He lives in the midst of His people a few chapters later. Here is the eternal, uncaused God who's self-sustaining in the midst of a bush. And I want you to notice what's... Even more amazing than that, once you understand that about God, the bush is not consumed. God, of very God, will dwell in the midst of His people, and Moses needs to know that, and, and you do too. God, of very God, the One who's uncaused, the One who's self-sustaining, the One who is all-powerful, lives in the midst of you. He condescended to you He came to you. He dwells in the midst of you. And you know what? You're not consumed. Isn't that amazing? Because you should be consumed. Just like the people of Israel should be consumed. Just like this bush should be consumed. This is Almighty God. This is fire. This should consume the bush. That's what normally happens when... To bushes with with fire in them, they burn up. They're consumed, and the, and the same thing happens to sinful people who come in contact with the holy God. The same thing should have come should have happened to Moses, and God's going to protect Moses in just a moment. This is purifier that burns up all around it, and God is showing Moses even now that while all of these things are true about Himself. He will make a way, He'll live in the midst of His people, and He will make a way that they will not be consumed. May I say to you that God has made a way through the second person of the Trinity for you to live in His midst and so that you would not be consumed because of your sin? God, who is an all-consuming fire, becomes a compassionate Father to you, not because of anything you did, not because you're sinless, not because of what you're able to do with your sin, but because of what God does with your sin. And He makes a way so that you can come into His presence and that He can live in the midst of you and you would not be consumed because of your sin and because of His holiness. And this is such an amazing sight that Moses turns aside to see... And when he does, God speaks. I want you to notice verse three. Moses said, I will surely turn aside and see this astonishing sight, this great sight. Why this bush does not burn? Why it doesn't it consume? There's no smoke. It's just it's just pure, unkindled, perfect, self-sustaining fire and light in the midst of a bush, and the bush is not consumed. I will turn aside. And whenever he does. Look at verse 4, so the Lord saw that he turned aside to look and God called to him from the midst of the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. i will just notice that God is the one who initiates this encounter. You weren't looking for God, you were living your own life and the Lord initiated some contact with you. He might have done that through a person, he might have done that through a message, but there's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. God seeks after you. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He initiates this, this meeting with Moses, reveals himself who he is, and then Moses responds, doesn't he? And whenever he responds, the Lord gives Moses more revelation. And look at the first thing he says. Moses, Moses, and your mind is supposed to be drawn back to Genesis 22. Abraham, Abraham... Don't plunge the knife into Isaac. This is exactly the same thing that God calls out to Abraham when he's on top of the mountain. Abraham, Abraham. And you know what Abraham says? Here I am. Exact same thing. You're supposed to be thinking about that right after this bush is going to live in the midst of a people and the people aren't going to be consumed because of... The bush is not going to be consumed because of the the fire. And then you're drawn back to Genesis. And what happens when Abraham looks? He sees a ram in the bush that is a substitute for Isaac. And he says, the Lord will provide. May I say to you that the Lord provides for you. Through the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 5. He gets Moses' attention. And he says, do not draw near to this place. He gives him a command. He tells Abraham, don't plunge in the knife. Don't hurt the lad. Don't draw near to this place. Take off your sandals off your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. God's provision is to be reminded... It's to come to our minds, and then it's also, this is a warning. Now, while God will make a way for Moses and the people of Israel to come into His presence and Him live in the midst of them, that hasn't happened yet. And so God is warning Moses, don't come any closer, because you will be consumed at this point. God protects Moses from getting too close, unprepared. And He says two things to him. He says, remove your sandals... In holy ground, you're standing. The place that you stand is, is holy ground. I have a little, I have a little uh, spoof cartoon hanging on my wall. It was in a, um, a newspaper that has a picture of. It's a little cartoon Moses standing at the burning bush, and the caption says, "Don't worry about removing your sandals. I'm a seeker sensitive bush." It's a jab. At that movement. You need to understand the Lord is holy. <laughs> he, he, he's, he is dangerous. Jesus is not a warm, cuddly guy that you can just approach flippantly. He's not your homeboy. He's not JC. He's not any of those. This is the living God. And He's holy. And you cannot come into His presence apart from His provision. But whenever he does make provision, then he's your compassionate father. Look at verse 6. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham. Look at what, how God responds when Moses responds to God properly. He takes off his sandals and he doesn't come too close. And then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's in covenant relationship with, with him. Because of grace. He is holy and you can't approach Him. But oh, the lavish grace that God sheds abroad. Remove your sandals. He's teaching, Moses, Moses, you are distinct. From me, I am distinct from you. Don't approach me unprepared. All of this is setting up what he's going to teach the people later. You remember Exodus is about the presence of God and the law and the Ten Commandments and the sacrifices and the holy and unholy, clean and unclean. is all going to regulate these unholy people. They're going to come into the presence of a holy God before the Deliverer, the seed, will ultimately come. And when He comes, He'll wipe away all sin. And we can then come boldly before the throne of grace. We have pure and perfect access. He's teaching Moses, I'm distinct from you. Don't approach unprepared. And then he also says, the place that you're standing is holy ground. Now, don't misunderstand what he's saying there. I mean, there was any special thing about the dirt or the bush. The ground itself is not special. He's saying God makes the ordinary holy. (laughs) The ground is not special. The presence of the Lord transforms anything from that which is ordinary to that which is sanctified, that which is holy. Isn't that exactly what Corinthians says Paul says? We have this treasure in earthen vessel. We have the treasure of the gospel cleansed but it's in the midst of a dung pot. It's the best that you and I are, but oh, we have the treasure of the gospel. And God makes the ordinary, the common, usable. And He makes the ordinary and the common holy. And so we're no longer considered sinners, but we're called saints, right? Even though we're not. There's nothing about us that's saintly, And there's nothing special about this ground other than that the presence of the Lord is there. There's nothing, as he'll say later in Deuteronomy, special about Israel. You weren't any great people, any bigger number. You weren't prettier. You weren't anything. You're special because I chose you to be special. Because I'm in your midst. And and you're the nation that I've chosen to, to be a light to the Gentiles and to fulfill the promise to Abraham. That's why they're special. And Moses speaks... Or Moses um, obeys and, and he says, I am the God of your father. Moses, you claimed to be a Hebrew earlier whenever you were, you were launching out on your own. I am the God of your father. And then he also says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The same verse that Lord Jesus quotes later when he says, I am the God of the living, not the dead. I mean, he is affirming here, I'm related to you, Moses, in covenant. You're in covenant with me. It's from your people. And then he's also connecting to the fact that that his covenant promises um, both continue on and are being fulfilled. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, these aren't dead people. They're living because of God's promises. There Moses responds the only way that a human being can respond to coming encounter with God. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. At some point in your life, in salvation, and then whenever you settle the fact of, of giving yourself to the Lord, you will have to come to know who God is, what He's like, and then the only response that you can do is, is Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You, you you hide your face because you know who you're dealing with. You know who you're dealing with? He's the God of your Father. He's the God of the living. And, and He's the God of, of Israel. So He hears their cry. So then the Lord goes from revealing Himself to revealing His promises. I mean, before he calls Moses, he tells him who he is. And then he tells him what he intends to do in the world. I mean, how can you ever hope to, to, to accomplish or to understand what God's calling you to do if you don't understand God's purpose for the world, His plan for the world? I mean, why are you doing what you're doing? It's, it's, it's not for you. It's because you're taking the gospel to the nations. God is fulfilling a promise that's all the way back to Genesis 3 and here you're and in the midst of Exodus. And, and he's made a promise to Abraham and that promise is going to be to all people. And here he says to Moses, before he ever calls Moses, this is who I am, he reveals himself and then reveals his promises for the world around him. And he does that through retelling his covenant. Look at verse 7. He says, "I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sorrows, so I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egypt uh, out of the Egyptians and to bring them up from a land to a good and large land. I mean, he basically repeats what he says um, at the end of chapter two. I mean he, God describes himself in human terms, although he's not human it's not that that God is listening so, you know, and and all the other times he doesn't know what's going on. And his point is he knows human events and he also can and does intervene in the midst of them for I know their sorrows and I've come down to deliver them. Man, it's really hard when you have right theology that you know God knows what's going on in your life at this very moment. And you're crying out to the Lord to deliver you from whatever you're into in the moment. And you have that right theology. You know God knows what's happening and you know He can. And the only conclusion, because He's not answering, is that He's choosing not to. And then by faith you have to remind yourself it's for some good purpose. It's it's hard, isn't it? And Israel... For 400 years, somewhere along that time, it turned bad and they've been crying out to the Lord. And the Lord is reminding Moses that that's now time. Just as I promised Abraham, it's now time to come deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And I'm going to deliver them to a good land and a large land, a spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good place. And if you're in the midst of something and you know the Lord knows what's going on in your life and you're crying out to Him and He's, it's not His timing to intervene, trust and know that He will intervene and whenever He does, He's going to lead you to a good place. It's for your good. And verse 9, He just repeats it. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. He repeats what he promises what he promised, and now what he intends to do on the basis of his of his promises God's still at work in the midst of the world he 's still calling people to join him in the midst of that work. lastly, God reveals his specific plan once he shows Moses who he is and what he's promised to do what he 's doing in the world then I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road. Verse 10. Come now, therefore. Here's who I am. Here's what i call to do. I will send you <laughs> to Pharaoh that, my, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Can you imagine what that would have been like to hear that? You would have probably answered. I know I would have answered with more excuses than Moses did. I mean, think about this. I mean, he sees this self-sustaining flame, this uncaused flame that's not consuming the bush. It's in the middle of the bush. He gets the warning, don't approach because this is holy ground. He, I mean, Moses knows who he's speaking to. He falls on his face. He says, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of, of, of the patriarchs who are dead but alive. And Moses is, is on his face and then... God begins to recite His covenant, what He's going to do in the midst of Egypt, and no doubt what's going through Moses' mind is, I attempted to do that. I attempted to do that. Send somebody else. And then the Lord says, Come now, therefore I'm going to send you. It's very easy to be a spectator in the work of the Lord, isn't it? God's not calling me to do what He's calling you to do. He's not calling someone else to do that. He's calling you to do that. And you are the one that He is asking, calling, choosing. And you're the one that He wants to Used to accomplish it oh you know boy i just i just if i would have made different decisions 10 years ago i wouldn't be i wouldn't be where i'm where i'm at you know i was unsaved whenever i married that person or whenever i chose that career or whatever you think god was asleep when that was happening tracy and i joke all the time Sometimes serious, we talk about whenever ministry gets difficult, we were both unsaved whenever we were married this wasn't she didn't marry a pastor. I surely didn't intend to go into ministry. You think God was asleep? No sovereignly put us together and allowed us to to go that way and fail that way, and all of that so we can learn who God is to fulfill exactly what he's he's called us to do just. Same way he's working in Moses' life. Same way he's working in your life. It's been 40, 50, 50 years. Um, remember listening to Ashton tell the story about him and Annie considering missions, and then the Lord changed the plans, and then towards the end of life, how old, 65 or plus, and you started going to Burundi? Uh, we were almost 80. Almost 80. Are you okay if the Lord sends you on a on a seeming detour for 80 years to accomplish with you what He wants to accomplish with you in the last 10? If you understand who God is and His promises for the world, you are. You can accomplish, the Lord can accomplish far more with you and in you in one year than you could ever accomplish in 90 on your own. He caused Moses to serve And then he's going to have a dialogue with Moses that we'll see next time. But right now, I want you to bow your heads.